Welcome you here to Creekside. In a moment, we're going to take our offering as we continue in worship. If you're a visitor, you can feel free just to let that pass. You're our guest. But what we would love for you to do, because we'd love to keep in touch with you and learn about you and, and uh, see where you can plug in, um, you can fill out the card in the seat un- underneath the seat in front of you and just put it in the offering as it comes around. Next thing I want to do is this is a bold move, but uh, we want to invite you to something as a whole church. Not just me, but um, the Carter family, this is why it's a bold move, is going to invite the entire church to their daughter's wedding. And so this is a great thing. Uh, Yep, raise your hands back there, the Carter family. Their daughter, Courtney, and this is an even bolder move, is getting married to Adam right here. Uh, And so, yeah, you can all clap for that. That's a good thing. And so you are all invited to their wedding right here at Creekside on March 25th at 2 o'clock. Don't be late or you're going to have to sit in the balcony because these people are quite loved and there's going to be a lot of people here. So um, let me just pray for us and we will uh, continue in worship. God, just thank you that in Jesus we have freedom. Thank you that we can come this morning as we are. And Lord, in these moments, I just pray that we can know your presence And know that we either are or can be covered with the blood of Jesus. Father, that we would feel freedom in that. That our past does not define us, our present does not define us. But God, if we are in Jesus, our future does. And so God, I just pray that everyone in this room would be set free. Father, that in the name of Jesus, if the Son has set us free, we are free indeed. So I pray against all of Satan's lies that he is speaking to us this morning. Father, that we would stop believing those and that we would replace them and fight them with God's truth. And so I pray that as your word is brought this morning, I just pray, God, that it would fill us, that your spirit would change us from the inside out, that we would know freedom and understand freedom in Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's great to see everyone here today. We are... uh continuing our series from the book of 1 Peter. And as we've titled this series, Resident Aliens, keep that word in mind as we, as we read through seven verses starting with 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. It goes like this. Therefore, preparing your minds for action... And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, 
but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so your faith and hope are in God. Father, may you just open our hearts to these words. Let them sink down deep. Change us in our hearts, in our minds, and in our actions. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I've titled this, this message today, Homesick Hearts, Holy Children. And as we think about this term, resident aliens, this is a term that happens several times in the book of 1 Peter and really helps us color the whole book, helps us understand the whole book. That Peter is talking to people, he's reminding people that they're not in their home yet. Now, different versions translate it different ways. Uh, in the RSV, it comes across as exiles. In the King James, it's strangers. But Wayne Grudem says this word parap- parapodemos, it always refers to a temporary resident in a foreign place. A temporary resident in a foreign place. Think of someone that has a visa that allows them to, to stay in another country for a period of time. But that visa has an expiration date. It's going to end. And that's what Peter is, is telling us. He's reminding us that this life, this world, is not our home. This is not our home. You know, I think our hearts uh, agree with this thought. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And isn't that true to our experience? Think about some of the greatest joys and the most fulfilling times that you've experienced in your life. They always leave you wanting something more. This is a a small example that doesn't really matter in the scheme of things, but this last fall, there was a, there's a really uh, cool event that a lot of people had been waiting to see for a long time, and it happened when the Cubs won the World Series. Now, I happen to be a Cubs fan, and so I can remember being a young kid and just thinking, oh, you know, this is the year. This is when it's going to happen, over and over again, to be disappointed. And I, I remember, you know, playing baseball in the backyard and imagining the Cubs in the World Series and thinking, man, that is going to be so cool when it happens. And then finally, I get to experience. And, it, and it, was, it was amazing. It was really neat. But at the end of it, I thought, okay, is this really all it is? I mean, they got to have the parade and the celebration and everything. But at the end of the day, it, it passes. It doesn't change your life. You know, another season of baseball is about to start and they're going to play more games. And we see this over and over in our lives, right? That the things that bring us the most joy still leave us wanting more. Well, in verse 13, Peter says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully 
on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now what's he saying there? He's talking about where we set our hope. What do we get excited about? What do we long for? What do we wait for to happen? Is it just the next vacation or the next family get-together or the next time our favorite team wins it all? No, he says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying, be homesick. Be homesick for the day when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, our family went through a big change this year. We moved from Ankeny to Johnson. Uh, it really isn't a huge scheme in this, huge change in the scheme of things. Uh, but it, it changes things and, and your routine and everything is, is kind of different for a while. And um, a couple times since we moved, this has been about six or seven months, my youngest, Aubrey, will, will come to me and just say, she'll say, Dad, I miss our old home. And now I think, why is that? Because we moved to this house. It's bigger, nicer, better for most, you know, most objective measures. But she says, I miss our old home. And I think what she's feeling is that longing that we all have, right? That longing for life to stay the same. That longing for things not to change. That longing never to say goodbye to the people that we love. Never to have hurt or loss or sickness or pain. And we all feel it, right? We can have, you know, those moments in life that are so awesome. You know, the perfect summer day, the vacation that we wish would never end, the holiday with our closest family and friends. And you know what? All those things are just like little windows into eternity. They're like little glimpses that God says, you think this is great. It's just a little taste of what's going to come. And so that's what Peter is saying don't forget, this is temporary. This life is short. I want you to be homesick for the day that Jesus Christ is revealed. Now look at all these things that he's using all these things in the verse, first 13 verses to kind of point us to how, how amazing this is going to be. Now just let these things sink in. These are all things that he's describing, blessings that have been given us by God. He says, you guys, you've been chosen. You have an inheritance that can never spoil or fade, that's kept in heaven for you. You've been born again to a living hope, and God is guarding that inheritance for you. And you may be going through some trials that test your faith, but what's the outcome of those trials? In verse 6, he says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. But why does that happen? Verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, than perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So there's that phrase again, the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is that? The revelation of Jesus Christ is a day when he is unveiled, not just to his to his children, not just to his believers, but to the entire universe, the cosmos, when he is revealed as the king of all. How awesome is that day going to be? You know, 
we have, some of us might have watched the inauguration this week, and there's a lot of pomp and ceremony and circumstance, and people get, you know, excited or they get disappointed, depending on what side they're on. But, you know, think how, how feeble and how small that compares to the king of the universe being unveiled as the ruler of all for all eternity. When Donald Trump and Barack Obama and every president of the United States and every great man and every ruler of all time bows the knee to Jesus. And yet something else is going to happen on that day that is unbelievable. And again, look at it again at the end of verse 7. He says that this, these testings of our faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor. We get to be a part of it. There's going to be praise and glory and honor that accrues to us. Just because God's accomplished it for us. Just because he is going to use those trials in our life for good. And so Peter's saying, man, be homesick for what matters. And you might think, well, how, you know, if I don't feel like that, how, does, how do I just make myself feel hope? How do I make myself long for the revelation of Jesus Christ? And he gives really two, two very practical things right here. In verse 13 he says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. So we'll take each of those. Uh, preparing your minds for action. If you, if you have a, a more, the most literal translation of this is in the King James. It says, girding up the loins of your mind. And that's a phrase that makes absolutely no sense to us today. It's like, well, how, how, does, how does my mind have loins? And how would I gird up the loins of my mind? And, and it's this strange metaphor. But in, back in those days, men and women, they all wore flowing robes as they walked around. And if a person wanted to work, wanted to do something energetic, they had to kind of take that robe and they had to kind of wrap it around and tie it up and put it up in their belt so that they could run or work or do whatever they needed to do. And Peter's saying, do that same thing with your mind, okay? Let your mind be energetic. And he says, let your mind, let your, let you, yourself be sober-minded. And so if you think about those two things, combine them, he's saying, Think energetically. Think clearly. And what are, we, what are we supposed to think about, right? We're supposed to think about the truth that Peter's been uh, just unpacking for us in these first 13 verses. All the things on this previous slide. Chosen, born again, guarded, tested faith, inheritance. Think. Think about these things hard. Think about them clearly. And, you know, the difficult thing in our in our day and in our culture is it is so hard to think clearly. It is so hard to think with energy and purpose and focus because we live in such a world of distraction. Now, I know that women never get distracted, but being a man, I know men are terrible at distraction, right? Um, you know, I can be present there with my wife and kids, and my mind can sometimes just be a thousand miles away. And, and we're so distracted. And then, you know, you throw into the mix smartphones, which Peter at least didn't have to deal with, but then you've got Twitter and Facebook and news, and I've got to go check my email, and I've got to do this. 
And it is so hard just to think, to think with energy and clarity and purpose. But that's what Peter's saying. He's saying if you want your heart to be filled with hope for the coming of Jesus, you're going to need to think. You're going to need to let these truths seep down deep and change you. But you really see this pattern in scriptures that if we want to feel something, if we want to have emotion and we want to have hearts that are engaged, it starts with our thoughts. It starts with thoughts that are filled with God's word. Minds that are engaging with truth. If we want to have homesick hearts for the coming of our king, man, let's fill our hearts with truth. The second thing I want us to look at is what you see in verse 14. He says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. We want to have homesick hearts. We want to be holy children. And this word holiness... What comes to mind when I say the word holiness? You don't have to say it, but just think it in your minds. I think for a lot of us, holiness brings up ideas of avoiding sin or following rules or living out a certain morality. But holiness goes a lot deeper than that. It's a lot bigger than that. It includes those things, but at its base, it's something different. If you look at the very first mention of the word holy in the Bible, it happens in Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. And it goes like this. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now what's happening there? Is God making a day moral? Is God making a day without sin? No. It's, something, it's, a, it's a different meaning. It's something different. If you look at the book of Leviticus, which is what Peter is quoting from there when he says, you shall be holy for I am holy, there's all kinds of times in the book of Leviticus where some object is called holy, whether it's a table or a lamp or special garments, different things that are called holy. And it's a word that can be applied to more than just people. So what is the kind of the root meaning of this? Well, Really, if you, if you dig into it, the, the meaning of holy is, is kind of covered by these words. Unique, separate, set apart, dedicated to God. The idea of belonging is huge in this idea of holiness. Okay? If something is holy to God, he's saying, it belongs to me. Think of the verse in 1 Corinthians 6.19 that says, You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Who do we belong to? Now, the alternative to belonging to God is just to belong to myself. And if I belong to myself, really, I don't need to consult anyone else. I can do whatever I want. I can make my own decisions. I can really live life as I please. But if I belong to someone else, okay? And really, if you think about your life, you probably have a handful of people that you could truly say, I belong to them. Certainly if you're married, you'd say, I belong to my wife. Or a wife says, I belong to my husband. And 
When you have children, there's really a sense where you belong to them and they belong to you. And if you're in a love relationship like that, it's really not about commands and rule keeping. It's about being motivated by your relationship, okay? If my daughter comes to me in the middle of the night and wakes me up and says, Dad, I need a glass of water. You know, I'm going to be happy to do that because we have a love relationship with each other. She belongs to me. I belong to her. I'm not my own to just do whatever I want. And I think when, you, when, you, when we see Peter saying, be holy, because God is holy. I mean, God is unique. God is separate. God is set apart. And he says, I'm buying you guys, in, and I'm bringing you into my family. I'm transferring you from the kingdom of darkness that you used to live live in into the kingdom of light. And it's not just a matter of changing our political reality. It's a matter of being brought into God's country and into God's very own royal family. That's what it says when it says, as obedient children. And so if, we're, if we view ourselves as holy, if we say, I belong to God, he's bought me, he's paid for me, isn't that going to change the way we live? And again, to go back to this, thinking on truths, feeling hope in our heart, confident expectation of what God's going to do, it's going to come out into our actions, right? And, you know, I love the order of this because Peter doesn't just come and say, boom, verse 1, be holy as God is holy. No, he spends all this time saying, look at what God has done for you. And then the very first command in the book is set your hope. Set your hope on what God's already doing for you and what he's going to do one day when you see him. And after all of that, he says, be holy. So he's, he's bringing us through a process where our mind is filling with truth, our heart is changing, and that's going to come out in our actions. Verse 17 and there's a little shift in tone here, and it, it, it seems a little confusing at first, so let's just read through it. It says, If you call on him as Father who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. So, after all these awesome truths and realities, this feels a little bit jarring, right? If God is our Father, then why does Peter say, conduct yourselves with fear, right? Now, there's a huge sense in which when we are brought into God's family, we are, we are delivered from fear. And that's, we, we sing that song that's great, and we, and we know, have verses like from Romans chapter 8 that says, you know, that we are no longer slaves to fear. But now one interesting thing that happens is that God takes all those fears that we experience apart from him and, re and replaces them with one single fear. And I don't believe that this is a fear, this is not a fear of losing your salvation. This is not a fear of final judgment. And I think you see that by 
the fact that we're reminded that it is the Father who judges, okay? Now, fathers do not discipline their children in a way to destroy them, okay? And the fear that a, father, the, the fear that a, a child has for their father should be, in, in a healthy sense, a fear of disappointing them, a fear of, of not living up to the standard that the father has already patterned for them. And I think you really see that when you look at verse 18. So immediately after this idea of conducting, having a lifestyle that's marked by fear, it says, throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were not ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers with perishable things like silver or gold. So it's like, you might think of it like this. Imagine that you are captured in enemy territory, um, maybe a soldier fighting in a, in a foreign arena, and you're a prisoner of war, and you know, through, through a process of negotiation and work, uh, your home country finally says, okay, we're going to bring this person home. And, and maybe they'll say they even say, decide to take the unprecedented step of providing ransom money to release you. Can you imagine then, after all of that, to say, no, I'm just going to stay here. I'm good right? And that's what Peter's saying is that look at the price that was paid for you. And notice that he says perishable things like silver or gold. Now, silver or gold are really, in, especially in ancient times, the most valuable commodities that a person could own. And so Peter's saying, if you, in the foreign land that you're living, the most precious currency is worthless in God's kingdom. It's worthless. He says, see the price that you were bought with. And if we see the price that was paid for us, if we see that Jesus' precious blood had to be shed so that I could come into God's family, man, isn't that going to make us live differently? And we're living not with a fear of God's punishment or judgment, but it's a fear of making that treasure appear to be trash, Right? A fear of making that precious blood of Christ look like something that's not valuable to us. And so he says, man, see the price. See what was paid to make you part of God's family. And not only was it expensive, but verse 20, it says, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Not only was this sacrifice costly, it was timeless. You know, imagine this plan that was set in motion before the foundation of the world where God said, I'm going to send my son this hasn't even happened yet, but man is going to rebel, and I'm going to send my son, and he's going to pay the price. And that's really the gospel message that we want to have today, is that if you do not have this hope, if you, if you say, you know what, I'm not sure what's going to happen after this world's over, after this short life is done, the gospel is this, that God sent his son 
to shed his blood so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be brought into his family, that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to give you forgiveness and to give you hope for the future and for what is coming up. And, you know, that's, that's what we're really here to remember this, this day. Um, you know, the precious blood of Christ, it says, with, as a, a lamb without blemish and without spot. The picture up there is a picture from the book of Exodus. And when the Israelites were released from the land of Egypt, when they were ransomed, when they were brought out, God said, hey, each family is going to take a lamb, and they're going to kill that lamb, and they're going to put the blood on the door. And the lamb had to be a particular kind of lamb, okay? Had to be a lamb without blemish and without spot. And all of that was done centuries before Jesus came to foretell that Jesus would be the true lamb, that that precious blood was shed for us so that we can have a transformation, so that we can have a hope that lasts beyond this temporary residence. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would give us homesick hearts. God, we're all struggling with um, this life, this life that we feel like where things don't last, where things change. And we crave that permanence. We crave that joy that doesn't end. We crave that home that all of the good experiences down here point, point towards. So God, help us put our hope where you want it. Forgive us for getting so wrapped up in this world, for putting our hope in so many short-lived things. God, just transform us and change us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Whatever your heartache is this week, whatever your trial, remember this truth. That this world is not our home. We're resident aliens. We're temporary residents. And someday, God is going to bring us into something so much better than anything we can imagine. Father, just pray that you would be with each heart as they leave today. Remind us of the truth you've given us in your word, that the precious blood of Christ was shed for us. 